Tonight, a recession-proof economy. Well, the answer for this year, at least 2022, may be yes. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac, the Federal Reserve, our nation's central bank. Expected to hike interest rates. It, honestly, it depends on the day. It was six, then it was eight. Now we're just talking about the potential of nine. Uh, and of course, a lot of people out there talking about, is this potential to hike us into a recession? Joining us as he does every Monday is Allworth's Chief Financial Officer, Andy Stout. Uh, and Andy, there's a lot of headlines out there. The sky is falling, recession by May. You say, not so fast. You look at the actual data that's out there. I mean, there are some things that we're watching. There are some risks out there, but the data does not point to a recession, at least this year. I love that you said if you look at the actual data, because I do think sometimes these headlines are written without actually any real data. Well, they're trying uh, to sell something, right? Exactly. Yes. But if you look at you know, some of the specific economic data points that we look at, we call these leading economic indicators. Uh, we look at a, a wide variety of them, and there are a couple that are flagging a slowdown ahead, but the vast majority indicate the economy should continue to grow throughout the year. Well, Andy, that sounds great, but we're seeing headline after headline of recessions coming, and and I, I know you watch these things like a hawk, and and you don't you don't feel strongly that there is a recession coming, at, at least not imminently. Can can you just expand on that a little bit? Why why you're so optimistic that we should be okay this year? Well, we have uh, some tailwinds working in our favor from an economic uh, standpoint. Uh, we can start by looking at. Uh, the balance sheet for the average person. So we can look at what I'll call the ability to service debt, which compares debt obligations like your mortgage relative to, to uh, income. And this uh, service, this debt service at the household level, it's close to its best levels ever since the data series uh, began in 1980. So we have people who have the ability to pay their debt in, in a very strong way. And we also look at the savings rate. It's a pretty healthy level, 6.3%. So there's two things working in our favor. I'll, I'll call that the household balance sheet. Then we also have, Steve, a, a very strong labor market. We just got an update on that last week when we got the March uh, payroll data. It showed that 431,000 jobs were added in March. We're now about 400,000 jobs shy of the total number of employed people we had in February of 2020, right before the government uh, shut us down because of COVID. And now when we look at today's world, so we're really close to that February 2020 high, but now businesses can't find workers, right? Yeah. I mean, there's 11.3 million job openings. People uh, filing for unemployment level uh, benefits, that's at near record low levels. Last uh, The last update was 202,000 uh, for weekly jobless claims very, very low. On top of all of that, we have a 3.6% unemployment rate. So we got a really strong labor market, and that should be able to withstand anything being thrown at it. And there's a few other things uh, we're looking at, too. We do expect business spending to pick up this year. Uh, and one of the big reasons for that is that if you look at what's costing businesses money now, well, it's rising wages. So look to the, for them to invest in equipment to improve productivity. And that investment, that spending should help the economy. 
You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. As we look at the fact that the Federal Reserve, our nation's central bank, looking to hike interest rates a number of times this year, more than we have seen in decades. And could that result in a recession? Chief Investment Officer Andy Stout joining us as he does every Monday saying, I don't think so, not this year. Andy, you were just mentioning economic tailwinds working in our favor, but you also did mention that as of the past week, Two of the 10, right, leading economic indicators that you look very closely at have signaled we might be heading toward a recession. Give us a little more detail on what those are. Yeah, absolutely. So one that's been calling for a slowdown for a few months, it looks at where inflation is and which way it's moving and where unemployment rate is and which way it's moving. Unemployment rate's moving down. We're at 3.6%. Inflation, obviously, has been moving up. The reason that is uh, signaling a possible uh, economic slowdown ahead is because when that happens, that's when the Federal Reserve will want to increase interest rates. And if they increase interest rates too quickly, they could slow the economy down. So it's a recipe for higher uh, short-term interest rates. The other one is the yield curve. Now, there's lots of different parts of the yield curve, but what I'm specifically talking about here is interest rates on the two-year treasury are now above the 10-year treasury bond. That means that that part of the yield curve is inverted. And when you have short-term bonds, Uh, yields higher than long-term bond yields. It's historically been one of the more accurate leading economic indicators when it comes to predicting a recession. Now, to be fair, it can be a pretty long lead time uh, for a recession to actually hit once this yield curve inverts. As an example, we think about the Great Depression. The first time that yield curve inverted was in December of 2005, a full two years before the recession hit. Well, and the inverted yield curve is incredibly accurate, and I, I get what you're saying about uh, it, it may be some time, but it, it's a pretty good predictor uh, of a, an upcoming recession. Um, my first reaction, I think most investors' first reaction would be, well, maybe I should just get out of the stock market then, but you, you seem to think that there's still some opportunity in stocks. Why, why is that the case? Well, first of all, I would say, you know, don't time the stock market, regardless if there's a recession or not a recession, because even though the stock market does tend to move a little bit with the economy, it does before recessions hit and before recessions are over. So if you're waiting for that exact bottom or exact top, you're probably going to end up hurting yourself and hurting your retirement. But if we want to go back and look at the data specifically, when we look at the time from inversion to when the stock market actually peaks, well, it's been about 12 months later. So you get about 12 more months of return on the stock market. And this is looking back since 1978, by the way. And during that 12 months from inversion, the S&P 500, which is your large cap stock index, it's rallied about 22% before it actually ends up peaking out uh, prior to a, a recession and prior to a possible bear market. So history says we got some ways uh, to run and room to run on the stock market. Okay, so maybe there is some room to run, but uh, has the yield curve ever inverted and we have not gone into a recession? Has there ever been a false positive? Yes, there has been a, a false positive. You know, we saw one back in the uh, 1990s, in the late 1990s, uh, and we didn't get a recession after that. The yield curve would later invert about a year and a half or so later. Uh, so, you know, it's not perfect. 
there's a long lead time. And that's one reason uh, that we like to look at not just one indicator, but many indicators, because it gives us a better picture of the overall economy in the different areas like housing, sentiment, uh, just overall credit risk and uh, job market. And, you know, we look at all of these indicators together because the collection of the indicators is more powerful than any single indicator there is. Yield curve inversion, Andy, you know, this is simply money. So we want to make sure that people totally understand what we're talking about here. When you talk about the fact that the interest rates are now higher uh, on the two-year treasury than the 10-year treasury, explain what that means. Well, if you were to go out and buy a two-year government bond right now uh, from just going uh, from the bond market, the interest that you're going to get, which is your reward for investing on an annualized basis is 2.44%. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, if you would buy a 10 year bond from the U S government, so we're buying it from the government because there's no risk of default or, or bankruptcy, mm -hmm. you would be getting 2.4%. So you're getting an annualized amount higher on that two year bond than you're getting on that 10 year bond. And why, what are the conditions usually that make that happen, right? That make the interest rate on a short-term investment higher than usually than a long-term investment, right? I mean, usually you would expect more risk going out 10 years because there's just more unknowns. Yeah, it, a lot of it comes down to math, where if you look at the two-year bond, it's really equal to a bunch of short-term bonds leading up into it so you could invest in a like eight three month bonds and that would equal the return you would get on the two-year bond and those three month bonds they're expecting fed rate hikes that's why that's high right now so if we look at between years two and ten as an example because it's lower it's pricing in fed rate cuts and when does the fed cut rates well when we're in a recession and mm -hmm. that's why you see that in there so it's pricing in rate cuts beyond two years out so, so, Andy, that, okay, we're covering interest rates and, and all the craziness that's going on there and signs of a recession. Um, you mentioned that two of the 10 that you follow, two of the 10 leading economic in indicators have basically gone negative. And you start to get concerned about a recession when four uh, out of the 10 start to go negative. Uh, any guesses on what the next two to go negative might be? It's really hard to say because then you're essentially – you know, trying to predict something that predicts something well, else. Well, is there but, a possibility that, that, that the other two may not go and that we're yeah, going to be okay? It's possible. There, there's no question about that. I mean, we've had false signals before on these economic indicators like the yield curve. Uh, but if I had to guess, and this is just a, a pure guess, because honestly, none of, none of them are really close to flipping as of right now. Uh, but I would say possibly the sentiment side of things. So we are looking at consumer sentiment as well as business sentiment. And if inflation does become more problematic, you could see sentiment deteriorate. Uh, so that would be something to keep an eye out. So so if consumers are convinced we're going into a recession, that could almost cause the recession? Is that what Absolutely. sentiment means? It's a self, yeah, that can yeah. be a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think the economy is going to slow down, you think you might lose your job, well, you better stop spending now and start saving now. And since be since consumer spending makes up 70% of the total U.S. economy, if everyone had that mindset, well, you can imagine what the next step would be. Well, that would be falling into a recession. 
Andy, of course, we look at these economic indicators, um, but nobody can tell what Russia's next move would be, right? I mean, there's a lot of things out there. So as we say, like, hey, we don't see anything coming this year, that's, of course, with a big asterisk by it of, but there are some uncertainties here. Oh, absolutely. We have uncertainties on the domestic front as well as the international front. On the domestic front, we have the Fed hiking interest rates, uh, essentially making it uh, things more expensive, right, by hiking interest rates. Uh, we also, you know, high inflation in general, that could cause people to pull back spending. And what might cause high inflation? Well, then we can look over, see what's going on in Ukraine with Russia's unjustified war there. I mean, should something happen where oil gets to $200 a barrel? I would say a recession is pretty likely in the near term if something like that were to happen. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's there's a wild card. There's also some wild cards when we look at what's going on in China in relation to COVID cases. They're having a pretty bad COVID problem uh, right now. And they have a history of what's called a zero tolerance policy, where basically they just shut everything down wherever they see some sort of flare up. So if they do decide to go down that route, uh, you can definitely see some supply chain issues there. So there's things, there's always concerns. I mean, there's lots of known risks out there. But uh, what I would say is that barring uh, something you know, from Russia or even some nationwide lockdown in China, I would say the tailwinds that are in our favor, right? A strong household balance sheet, very strong labor market, those offset headwinds. Here's the Simply Money point. A recession, well, it could eventually happen, but currently risks appear low because the U.S. economy is still on firm footing. And I know there's many of you who love tuning in on Mondays to get Andy's take on things. If you'd like to get it in your inbox, you can sign up for our newsletter. Um, we'll also send you a retirement planning checklist. You can get that all on allworthfinancial.com. If you're planning on working after you retire, well, we're going to explain why you need to make sure you discuss that with a financial advisor. Plus, Elon Musk saying, if you can't beat them, join them. We'll discuss that in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55 KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I mean, you Wagner along with Steve Spravak. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, subscribe to our weekly podcast. It's the best of Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you find your podcast. What do you get when you invest money, watch it grow, and get a triple tax advantage on top of it all? A very important retirement tool. We'll discuss that at 643. Elon Musk. This guy is an interesting dude. I'm telling you what. He's got a lot of money. He's, <laughs> I, I didn't realize he's the richest person on the planet at yeah, this point. Yeah. yeah. He's got a lot of money and he's got a lot of opinions. And so I guess he puts his money where his opinions are. Super critical of Twitter. Um, and he was even considering starting a rival. And I guess if you can't beat him, join him. What he has recently decided is he's just going to make a huge investment in Twitter. And he yeah. is now what the, the largest stakeholder in Twitter. Yeah, you know, the guy's worth 200 and estimated $273 billion. I agree. So, so, you know, I, I see that he buys 73 million shares. That, that's almost $3 billion. Okay, but that's only 1% of his net worth. Yeah, you know, that's like a millionaire putting 10 grand into something. Nothing, you know, but but it's still two point nine billion dollars that he invested in Twitter. And yeah, yeah, this is interesting. He's been really critical, Amy. I, I don't know if you, you if you're one of the yeah. 80 million people who follow him. But, you know, he, he came out and he said free speech is essential 
for a functioning democracy. And he polled his 80 million listeners and, and said, do you believe Twitter is adhering to this policy? Seventy percent of his respondents said no. So he, he's talking about going out and starting a, another platform as a competitor to uh, Twitter, but then he goes and buys a huge 9% stake in Twitter. So, you know, it's anybody's guess on which, is he going to start one or is he just going to take over Twitter and make it what he feels is a better platform? That That's the call. Well, he can thank me uh, that he has all this money to throw around now because we bought a used Tesla when gas prices oh, went up. Know? So that's what that's what really set him up over the edge as far as the richest man on the planet. Yeah. Crazy. Well, you know, he, he never does a passive stake. So a lot of people are staying tuned on what happens here. He, in other words, if he's going to put almost three billion dollars in a Twitter, he's, he's going to be involved. He's got a plan. He's yeah. got a plan. We just don't know what it is. You know, my grandpa had a plan back in the day to retire, and he had the date on the calendar, and he would mark the red X's, right, as it got closer right? and closer to retirement. That used to be the norm. But, Steve, I, I don't think it is anymore. I don't think retirement looks like here's the date, and it's final, and when it gets here, I'm walking away, and I'm never stepping foot in anybody else's office again. Well, you, you know, times have changed. It, it used to be a lot of people would go to work, maybe even through an internship after high school or something like that, and go to work for a company that they eventually retire from the same company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, get the gold watch and, you know, send off and, and, and you know, you're, you're going out into the sunset. That has changed drastically. This, this survey that, that we just saw, two-thirds of people starting their retirement this year do not expect to give up work completely. Um, and, and that compares to just over half uh, last year. So, you know, just in one year's time, we're seeing a, a large percentage of people saying, you know what, I, I don't think I can afford this. And I, I think yeah. it has more to do about not not a change in, in, the t in what people want to do. I think it, it's a gauge of anxiety. People are scared that costs are going to continue to go up and they can't just pull the string and be done with it. There's a lot going on right now. I mean, yeah. you think about inflation at 40-plus year highs. You've got the Federal Reserve expected to hike interest rates. I mean, you know, I think it was last week it was six times. Now it's eight or nine times that we're looking. And, and the uncertainty of what's going to happen, you've got Russia. And all of this, the market is all over the place right now. And I got to tell you, I feel for someone who's planning on retiring this year because I, I understand a feeling of high anxiety when that paycheck is no longer coming in. Well, and I'll, I'll give you a number that might explain this. Uh, less than three out of 10 people, about 28 percent, have actually used a, a professional, a, yeah. have someone do their financial planning. I just can't imagine going into a retirement decision without somebody that knows what they're doing, probably that cost you some money to, to go to work for you, um, helping you make that decision. Because, you know, the anxiety level of, you know, fine, I I can make it today. I think I've got enough money coming in today to make ends meet. But what, you know, 10, 20 years down the road, I, I hope everybody that retires is going to be around 30, 40 years down the road. The question is, will your money run out before you do? I think we need to be very clear on the order of things here, Steve. You talk to the financial advisor, and then you come up with the retirement plan. Well, exactly. Not, not you tell the boss to take this job and shove it, and then you go to the financial advisor and say, how do we make this work? Yeah, and, and it's not just the, the, the software. I mean, there's a lot of good software out there, but I looked at one from a major brokerage firm that did not include 
inflation. Yes. How, how do you have financial plan software without inflation? But, you know, it's not just the software. It's also having somebody help you focus on how much you spend and what inflation rate you're going to use in your plan. And that's what you need to know before you make a, a final retirement decision. Just a quarter, right? One in four of the people who are retiring this year say, hey, I feel confident that I've got enough money saved. You do not want to go into this time not confident, right? Not sleeping at not night, not having peace of mind. Here's a Simply Money point. Whether you want to work after you retire or not, it's critical to have that financial plan in place ahead of time so you can handle whatever scenario presents itself, right? Things don't always go as planned. Putting too much on a credit card, find out how long it takes for that card to impact your credit score. That's next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55K. ARC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. You know, for your kids, your grandkids, getting that first credit card is a big deal. But one of the biggest reasons why it matters so much is because it will impact their credit score. Joining us tonight with just some great tips on maybe what your kids need to know about that first credit card, but also how it helps them to build credit is our credit expert, um, Britt Scarce from Emory Federal Credit Union. Britt, you know, it, it's harder now actually to get that first credit card. When I was in college, uh, the first day of classes, there were tens all over. You could get a Frisbee and you got a new credit card. You got a T-shirt. You got a new credit card. Now there's protections in place. Um, but let's talk about what that looks like and, and how old most people are when they start getting their credit cards now. Yeah, it, it, it is harder than it used to be. Like you said, they used to throw you know free pizzas at you and free yeah. T-shirts and hats. But uh, those days are those days are over. And that's a good um, thing. Now, Yes, it is, because a lot of people got themselves in, in, into a lot of trouble, you know, at a very young age by them just, you know, given, you know, indiscriminately just giving kids cards. But um, unfortunately, in this particular um, uh, time in history, it is very important for you to establish some credit in, in order to function properly in our financial world. Now, can you, you know, can you basically function with all cash technically? Yes, you can, but life is a lot harder. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes getting your first, very first line of credit can feel a little bit like the chicken or egg kind of thing, you know, yeah. I, you know, how do I get credit, uh, when no one will give me credit because I don't have any credit. So, <laughs> yes. uh, <laughs> that's what a lot of people find themselves, uh, in, in that, in that particular, you know, predicament. So, you know, what, and I what can parents, Britt, I mean, what can it, parents do in that situation to help kids kind of get established there? Yeah, there's a couple of things that you can do to establish credit if you don't have anything at all. One would be a parent can add uh, one of their uh, their child to one of their open established credit card accounts that have a that has a great history um, over you know many years. They can add them as an authorized user on that on one of their credit cards, and that will instantly put that trade line on their child's credit bureau, and that will start a credit file for them. And I did that with my son when he was uh, about 18, and he ended up with uh, a mid-700 credit score pretty much instantaneously. 
Oh, that's nice. You know, and Britt, also, um, you, you touched on something that I think is worth bringing up again. Um, there are people out there in the financial world that are huge advocates for no credit cards. And it's interesting because through the years, we've done workshops and just kind of been out in the community. And someone will stop me and they'll say, I think you'll be really proud of me. We cut up all credit cards and got rid of all credit cards. And yes, while I don't want anyone to have debt, um, I, credit card is a tool. And I hope that for kids who are coming into this world, you know, learning how to build credit and why that matters, they'll understand that it's a tool that they can really use for good. It really does help you in your financial life. Uh, you know, again, I affirm the behavior of not carrying credit card debt and paying interest, uh, you know, and living a, as debt free as you can in your life. But, uh, a, you know, a credit card is a much safer tool to use if you are shopping online. There's just, a, you know, a, a little bit more protection there. If, if you use, you can technically use a debit card online, but what happens if your card gets breached? Yeah. Well, then, then, then that money actually comes out of your checking account, right? And until you, you know, as long, as long as you discover that, you know, soon enough, you, you know, you can, you can get it, you know, you can get it reversed and get the money put back into your account. But, you know, what if that is money that you were going to use for, you know, paying your rent or your mortgage or, you know, it could take a little bit of time where on a credit card, it's much easier to dispute um, and it's not coming directly out of your of, of your funds. So you, you have to me, you have a little more protection there. I prefer to do subscriptions and things of that nature, like if you, you know, your Netflix and, and that sort of thing. I, you know, what I recommend that you do, you can live a debt free lifestyle. But, you know, have a couple of accounts, use them to pay some of those subscription things so that you show activity and you'll maintain a high credit score, which will make your life a lot easier when you go to, you know, purchase a house. It's so much easier to get a mortgage if they pull your credit report and you have two or three open trade lines there and a, you know, decent uh, credit score. It's a lot easier and to get a lot better financing at better rates. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We're joined by Britt Scares, our credit expert, with some great tips, right? If your kids are kind of getting their first credit cards, um, how they can be responsible with them and understand how it impacts their credit score. Let's get into why you need a credit score here, Britt, just some of the basics of how it impacts your life over the course of things. I think there's a lot of people who might say, well, you know, that's kind of elementary stuff, but there's a lot of things that are impacted, including uh, how much you're paying for insurance uh, and a lot of cases that maybe you don't know about. Exactly. It, you know, having established credit will affect your ability to get things like mortgages, uh, things like purchasing, you know, what if you want to purchase a business or get a business yeah. loan? You need, you need credit. Um, how about getting a job? Um, you know, a lot of employers, not only do they do background checks on you, but many of them will also do a credit uh, check on you. And they, you know, they see a, uh, you know, uh, a, you know, if you have credit issues, they see that as a potential, you know, risk, a moral risk, if you will, that you might, you know, not, not be so uh, responsible do your job as well. Yes. You know, or, you know, you may steal from the company or something like that, which, you know, do I believe that's the case? No, but that's the world we're living in. Yeah. Uh, auto insurance, homeowners insurance rates will be literally double uh, if, if you have bad credit versus good credit. Uh, just doing things like turning on utilities, uh, you know, without having to put large deposits down are affected by your credit. You know, convenience is, you know, is great. How about how about being able to pay, you know, get, be able to get an account so that you can pay 
um, you know, with, with just a tap instead of having to wait, you know, for the cashier mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. So, you know, and again, like I said, you have some protections, extra protections, especially if you're doing things online. It's, it's a lot easier to dispute that rather than trying to get money put back into your checking account. So for those who are interested, right, like how do I how do I get started? How do I get my credit score? How do I boost my credit score? What are just the basics that you need to know there? Well, you know, if you already have some established credit, okay, the main thing to do is to always pay on time, keep your balances preferably below 30% of whatever your limits are. Um, Don't open a lot of new accounts in a short amount of time. Only apply for credit when you actually need credit, okay? And, you know, if you have have kind of a limited um, credit file where you don't have a, you know, what they call a thin file where you don't have a lot of open accounts, couple of things you can do there. You can become an authorized user, as, as we've discussed before, um, uh, on someone else's account, say a parent's or you know a, a spouse's uh, account. Um, or there are some other programs through Experian and some, some of the credit bureaus that actually allow you to do um, reporting of, say, utilities and rent that will actually boost your credit score also. Those are things to, you know, you know, pay on a monthly basis, and if you can get that good pay history reported to your credit bureau, that would boost your credit score. These are just financial basics that your kids, your grandkids need to understand when they're getting out there in the world, getting a credit card, building a credit score. If they know these things and understand these things and use them to their benefit as a tool, they're going to be so much better off in the long run. Thanks to our credit expert, Britt Scares from Emory Federal Credit Union, for joining us with these insights. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. Listening to Simply Money, I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Best Buy, Use Buy, Freeze Buy. If you eat them, are they going to get? Are you going to get sick? Actually, a lot of these labels are costing you money. What do they really mean? Especially as you're paying more for everything at the grocery store these days. We'll dig into that straight ahead. All right, Steve. One of my favorite topics: health savings accounts. Yeah. Um, you know, I honestly got really serious about these uh, maybe about 10 years ago. Uh, I'd just been reading about them and reading about them, and it just makes sense. And I think if you, if a high deductible plan makes sense for your family, right, and you've got yep. to run the numbers, doesn't work for everyone. It, it doesn't. And I'm one of those people, I came to a different conclusion, but I used mine differently. And I, I, I think this that's a really good discussion to have because when it works, it works great. I think you found a way to make it work. When it doesn't work, in, in your particular situation, you, you wonder why is there all this excitement about it? I, it didn't work. It didn't make any sense for me. And I, I think we're a great point counterpoint on this. Now, you've made it work. Are you still using an HSA? Yes, but I don't currently use it. And what okay. I mean by that is I'm putting money right in it every month and that money is invested. But I also have saved part of my emergency fund. I've got like sub-emergency right. funds. Right. Um, part of that is for medical expenses. So I am able to, because I've planned for it, pay for those medical expenses out of pocket as I go. So it's not like this uh, savings account where money in, money right back out. Um, right. Right. And so I pay that out of pocket. I send that HSA money forward 
for retirement. And in, you know, every year the numbers come out updated, Steve, and they're, they're through the roof. How much the average couple can expect to spend on healthcare costs in retirement. So oh, I'm using, yeah. 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 So I'm using this triple tax advantage account. And if I use it for healthcare related expenses, I'm never going to pay taxes on that money. There's nothing else like this that the U.S. government gives you. Okay. So a health savings account is only going to be usable or it's only available to you if you have a high deductible health plan through your employer. Yeah. So what's what I mean, what is a high deductible? Five, six grand? I mean, what is normal yeah. for that? Yeah. Okay. So you know you're going to pay if somebody gets sick, you're going to shell out five or six grand out Up of to, pocket. Yep. To make this work. And, and and you've got the Brady Bunch. You've got a bunch of kids. So is is that a concern? We have a lot of kids, but we have a lot of, I mean, I'm knocking on wood as I say this, yeah. healthy kids, no chronic things. Now, several years ago, my daughter was getting regular allergy shots. Okay. Uh, and the years that she was going through the testing and all of that, it was incredibly expensive. HSA did not make sense that year. I knew it was coming. Right. We didn't do the high deductible plan that year. Okay. But considering we have kids that are relatively healthy, they go for their sports physicals once a year, um, maybe the flu. Uh we don't have major usual medical expenses. So yeah, I set aside enough to have that deductible, right? So it doesn't catch us off guard, doesn't throw us right. into having credit card debt. Um, if we had to pay it, we have the money set aside. To this point, I have not had to use it. Now, I will say this, Steve. One of the drawbacks, I think, of having a high deductible plan is you might not be as proactive um in getting medical tests done. Now, a right. lot of the proactive stuff is covered with a high deductible plan as far as like the yearly, but several years ago, I, I broke my rib. It was a weird bowling accident. We all love to laugh about that <laughs> well, one. What is this, full contact bowling? Uh, only me, only I me can, I, I fell on top of the ball return because I was talking animatedly to someone behind me, somehow broke my <laughs> rib. No joke about that. But when I went to the doctor I'm a few weeks later, I'm not laughing you breaking your rib. I'm just trying to picture You're... how you can break a rib bowling. You're laughing with me. I know you are. But truly, yeah, a few really. weeks later, when I could not get out of bed because my rib hurt so bad suddenly, yeah. and I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, well, we can give you a steroid injection, but also uh, we want to do an x-ray. And I was like, in my mind, I hear cha-ching, cha-ching. Yeah. That x-ray is going to cost me. And is, are you going to be able to do anything as a result? No, we'll just know for sure if it's broken yeah. or not. I, I went ahead and got the x-ray, but I thought long and hard about it because I knew it was going to out of pocket. pocket. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. does change things. And, and that's where it didn't work for me because in a health savings account, I'm not trying to talk anybody out of it. I just want you to understand it's just good to cover a little all the bit points. more of the basics. Exactly. In our case, okay, we, we had whatever it was, a $5,000 deductible. So I go ahead and I deposit $5,000 in my health savings account pre-tax. So it's it's almost like a 401k contribution. Mm -hmm. You don't pay tax on that money and that part's really good. But then as time went on, as the year went on, we did not make decisions based on, okay, is that going to cost us money? Maybe we shouldn't. We did everything we normally do. We'd go for the test. We'd pay, yeah. you know, pay and whatnot. And we allowed the, the money to come out of the health savings account because I figured, okay, whatever's left is going to be invested in, and grow. Well, at the end of the year, there was nothing left. We, yeah. we didn't have major health issues, but it doesn't take much these days to burn up five grand in medical expenses. It, you know, so that's so why we examined it. it. 
But you used it more as an FSA, right? A flexible I, I spending account. I did. Um, than, than the I HSA. figured that I put that money in there to use for, for uh, expenses uh, related to health care, and I used it for that, and there was nothing left at the end of the year. So I, for me, I don't think it made that much sense. Yeah. I, I think it's a know-yourself proposition, yeah. right? You have to take a, a hard look at any chronic situations in your family. Um, but if not, and you do have that money set aside in an emergency fund, uh, you can push that money forward to retirement, and it yeah. can be a, a great contribution to those health care expenses. And if you are someone who is really, really organized, and I, I aim to get this way maybe as I get closer to retirement, you can save some of those major health bills that you're paying out of pocket. Yeah. When you get to retirement, you just pay off those bills. It pulls it from the HSA, and then you've got that money. And please, if it is working for you, and if you're, if you're using the plan like Amy obviously does, and you're accumulating a balance, please invest it. There are health savings yes. accounts that are available through major firms that you can invest the money in mutual funds instead of sitting in your local bank earning one-tenth of one percent because you are not putting that money away to keep pace with the rising inflationary costs of, of health care. If it's only earning one-tenth of one percent, it would make more sense for the long haul to invest it properly. So don't 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 be the seven percent that invested um, uh, or be the seven yes. percent and increase that percentage that investor for the future. Don't be the 93% that just keeps it in the bank. Well, and just like the 401k, uh, you know, Steve, you've talked about that many times that when 401ks first started, there weren't a lot of investment no, options No, the default available. was a money market. Yes. Yeah. Now these HSAs are becoming more and more popular. More yeah. and more people are using them. There are more and more options available that you can invest that money in. Here's a Simply Money point. An investment with a triple tax advantage it's pretty hard to beat. And a tool maybe you should consider having in your retirement toolbox if that high-deductible health care plan makes sense for you and your family. Next, common misconceptions about food labels and the way that could impact your bottom line. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. This, Steve, is probably a debate in just about every house. In ours, it is. My kids will sure. get something out of the refrigerator and be like, oh, my gosh, Mom, this milk, these eggs expired yesterday. This bread is not Best Buy. That was last week. <laughs> and I'm like, you're not my, – my kids think they will die. I'm, I'm, I'm poisoning my children by leaving this food in our pantry, in our refrigerator, after it says it's expired. But it doesn't – it's not technically bad for you. It's not going to make you sick. Well, uh, we all know labels lie because on a on a pint of graters it says three servings. Not in my world. Not, and it depends on what mood you're in, for crying out loud. That's a half you know? a serving on a bad day. Oh, come on. You know, if you're a little bit down in the dumps, that might, yeah, exactly. That could easily be a half a serving. No, but it's a good point because, you know, there's a lot of confusion about used by, fro, fro, needs to be frozen by. And the used by dates on, on labels is really, you know, there's actually outside vendors that come in and say, okay, when does the, the peak quality start to decline? And that, that's really what we're talking about, a use-by date. It doesn't necessarily mean it went bad, but most people feel that way. Children, are you listening? I'm not poisoning you. It's just not at peak quality. It's maybe a day past peak quality. Listen to these numbers. By people who 
too strictly adhere to these Best Buy dates. There are some nonprofits out there that say 30 million tons of food is being wasted from homes yeah, every that's year. A lot. You talk about the fact, Steve, that everybody is paying more at the grocery store right now uh, because of inflation. And I think people who are throwing this food away before when you can still eat it um, need to understand the difference here in order to be able to at least save a little bit. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's not we're not telling people to go dumpster diving or anything no. like that. But, you know, just just be aware that doesn't mean the stuff went bad overnight. So, you know, do you have to toss it on the best if used by date? No. Now, medicine, a little bit different. Yeah. When it says expiration date on a medicine, toss it, please. Um, that means it's no longer effective. Yeah. may not be good, maybe doing more harm than good. But food, eh, maybe not necessarily. Also, baby formula. Um, if yeah. that, that has an expiration date on it, toss that if the expiration date has come and gone. There's so many, though, different labels, Steve. It's hard to track, like, what they all mean. There's best if used by. There's sell by. There's use by. There's freeze by. All of those, though, kind of speaking to, hey, peak at this point, anything yeah. beyond that may not be so great, but don't get confused by them. Hey, and the, the FDA is coming out with some proposals. And, you know, honestly, I, I'm reading the proposals. Uh, the, the whole idea is uh, it's going to clarify the situation. I Boy, you put the government in, in, in charge of trying to make something a little more clear. <laughs> it ain't happening. So, you know, just use some common sense here, folks. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55 KRC, the talk station.